Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, How Technology, Consumerism, and Pandemic Are Accelerating the Future, in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. My special guest today is a CIO of a large health system that is looking to deliver outstanding digital experiences to their patients and consumers who are looking for instant gratification. In this conversation, we talk about how consumer research drives digital priorities, what are the things to look out for when building out mobile applications and other digital features, and how to create a robust technology infrastructure that will deliver the superior experiences that consumers demand and expect today. With that, let's jump into the conversation. I am thrilled to be here with Reed Stefan, CIO at St. Luke's Health System in Idaho. Reed, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Patty. Happy to do it. Wonderful. Reed, why don't we start with a little bit of uh, background on the health system and the populations that you serve? Yeah, certainly. So St. Luke's Health System, based out of Boise, Idaho, our geographic footprint covers southwest Idaho, a little bit of eastern Oregon. We serve the populations therein. Our system is comprised of eight medical centers, a couple hundred clinics and centers there. We see about 3 million visits a year between those, those settings. And the population, it's, it's dynamic. It covers a broad cross-section. We have had an interesting change in the last couple of years, just a huge influx of folks moving into the valley, in the Boise area in particular, which has kind of shifted our population a bit. And then it covers like a, a city area like Boise, smaller towns, rural hospitals, rural areas that then provide challenges in terms of access and equity of access. So it's really a unique market where we kind of have a little bit of a flavor of everything, which makes it challenging, but also exciting and rewarding. So do you have a large uh, rural population as well, widely dispersed uh, in some way? Large in terms of geography. I wouldn't say large in terms of a population compared to some of the city urban areas but certainly large in terms of just the consideration for, if you think about digital in particular, you can't just assume that they're going to have broadband access or even a device to engage in some of those uh, those opportunities. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with that question. And we will drill into that a little bit. So you mentioned the digital program, which is kind of what we talk about on the podcast. Love to hear your thoughts on a brief overview of uh, the digital health program at St. Luke's and your current priorities as CIO of the organization in supporting the digital initiatives for the organization. Yeah, happy to. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the word digital. Like I understand it, it's the context is important, but it's one of those words that gets used so ubiquitously that it can start to lose meaning and you have this Tower of Babel experience where people all kind of hear the language differently. And I think that for me, one of the success measures will be when we just start to talk about health generally, and that just naturally encompasses digital. Like when I think of just personally, in my mind, I don't differentiate between my Amazon experience when I'm on my device ordering something versus when someone physically comes at the door to deliver it. It's just all the Amazon experience. So that's just 
with that backdrop, we set up a consumer access and experience program a year ago. One of my colleagues and great partners is a VP who leads that. And, and that group, they have been tasked with not disrupting for the sake of disruption, but really challenging like how we think about things, helping us really start with, with the question, because we think that's the most powerful tool in the toolbox. Don't go out and ask users what they might want or expect them to design what that digital health experience might be like, but really bring questions to bear to kind of draw out from that what might be best for them. There's a few things that that program has, has focused on that we've helped uh, as an IT shop. We launched an app earlier this year and nothing special about that. And it's very nascent in its development. And I think of it more not as an app, but it's really a, it's an engagement and an access gateway and an experience gateway for the future. And it gives us a nice cornerstone then to, to build on basic things in place there now. So you can access our patient portal, might chart through that. You can access our website to find physicians and locations. You can pay your bill. So we've knit together a few digital assets into one unified experience. And now we need to really gain insights to understand where do we need to add value add components to that? Where can we reduce friction for that experience? Uh, Another thing that, that the CAU group is champion that we've supported is standing up an on-demand virtual clinic. So like everyone else, we saw a rapid increase in virtual visits with COVID, some tapering off of that uh, last year, but it clearly demonstrated to us that there is an appetite in the market for consumers that want to consume their healthcare through digital for certain visit types and needs. And so creating a clinic that's focused just on that, And using that to then understand preferences and behaviors to look at ways that we can take advantage of existing capacity. So rather than move right to, you know, we should probably then bring in an M, well, look how we're going to augment and outsource the physician or provider need. Well, let's look at internally, like what's our capacity in other areas where we can have doctors who and other providers who come in to bear on that, that need and all chip in. So excited about just some of the early conversations there. The last thing I'll touch on is um, one of the, the roles of CAE is to just take a hypothesis and experiment quickly and learn from it. So we're about to launch a medication locker at a local grocery store that doesn't have a pharmacy. Just as a, a small test of change, just to kind of start to learn and understand consumer appetite and preference and desire with the idea that this omni-channel approach where we can give consumers a variety of options and then kind of understand where preferences are and then guide them to the option that might best be suited for them. Just really excited about that kind of focus on consumerism. It sounds like some of your uh, in-flight programs and things that are on your roadmap right now are directly driven by what you're learning from consumers through your consumer research. You talked about the mobile app uh, and it sounded like you have some basic functionalities and features, uh, probably thinking of more. And then you talked about the urgent care and and some of the other things, the experimentation. Uh, Can you share a little bit of what your consumers are telling you in terms of what they would like to see and therefore what might go on your roadmap? Yeah, if I just used one word to describe it, it would be instant. They want the same experience they have in just about every other vertical of their life where it's, it's always on, it's always available, and there's near kind of instant gratification or results from what they're pursuing. And granted, there's certainly in healthcare, there's situations where that's just not a logistical possibility. 
But there are a lot of areas where, you know, we can improve that experience and give that, that access and that instantaneous kind of result to the consumer. So a few things that we've done to help glean insight from the consumer, you know, certainly we've always done things like focus groups, which are interesting. We're also just doing simple things like going out and visiting with consumers and asking questions. Our CAE group did something fun this year when a, a group of students from Harvard wanted to do a case study. So they, they came to Boise and, and we gave them kind of a, a problem to look at. And they spent a couple of days analyzing and, and uh, doing their academic uh, approach and generated back a report to us. And one of their, their insights or one of their hypotheses, which was interesting, was that one of the challenges you have with something like your, your patient portal is many of your consumers use it so infrequently. Like it's just based on when they have the need. Mm -hmm. You compare that to your banking app, your Amazon app, social media app that you're in kind of daily. So you develop this dexterity and this familiarity with how to navigate. So then it it seems easy. But when you're just logging onto my chart once or twice a year to schedule an annual wellness exam or an episodic kind of need, it's going to feel foreign because you just don't use it enough. That's been a really interesting observation then that we're kind of just churning over and thinking through how then do we make sure we don't overinvest in building up every single detail of a completely frictionless patient portal experience when the bang might not be worth the buck. Like let's kind of focus in on maybe the one or two things that really, really matter. So one of the insights that we've gleaned is three things that have the biggest impact that we've observed on Net Promoter Score. First and foremost is receiving services, which makes sense. The next two are scheduling an appointment and finding a provider. And then way down on the list is like wayfinding. And so that was interesting because like we've kicked around wayfinding for a long time. And the thought was how cool this would be. But especially as we kind of face financial constraints, we have to be really disciplined and ensure that the investments we're making are going to yield the biggest benefit. So then we're narrowing our focus then on, well, how do we improve that experience for scheduling an appointment to make it as frictionless and as easy as possible? How do we make that experience easy for someone to find a provider and to find out the details they might want to know about that provider? So that consumer insight is really key for us because it helps us then to not only meet the consumer need, but be wise stewards of our resources and make sure the work we're doing is going to have the biggest benefit for that. It's very interesting what you just said. And uh, I want to share a quick anecdote. And as you're aware, I read, I've shared some research that our firm does in terms of what are the trends in terms of high, high impact and high value digital engagement use cases. And our research shows, and we look at it from the other side, we look at what health systems are doing and what they're implementing we're finding that you just mentioned is very low on the priority list when I look across health systems across the country. And so it's an interesting data point. There are other insights that we get too uh, through that research. But I wanted to go back to what you said about the uh, notion of how often someone logs into a patient portal, as an example. How often they use an app and what do they use it for and so on. Can you share a little bit about what are some of the common metrics that you track when trying to understand whether your investments in these programs is meeting expectations. Yeah, you know, really kind of pedestrian ones that you would expect. So we look at active MyChart users, meaning they've logged on sometime in the previous 30 days. We do kind of that ratio then against our total MyChart user population. 
we look at the percentage of patients that use MyChart to schedule an appointment versus those that call our, our Connect team, the percentage of folks that use MyChart to refill a prescription request, that will use MyChart to look at their images or review their after-visit summary, their provider notes. So we just, we really kind of focus on consumption. And as you were talking, you know, one of the things that has been stuck in my mind is, okay, if you accept the fact that the typical consumer then is just occasionally using your digital health tool, and particularly your patient portal, then that begs the question then, well, then there must not be value you're giving them other than kind of that episodic, like specific need they have. So that opens up a whole pantry of opportunities that are really interesting to kind of examine about what could we offer then that would make that app something that's more of a frequent digital stop for that consumer, where they don't view it as just a transactional experience with St. Luke's, but they view it as something that's holistic within how they're thinking about their care, whether it's diet or exercise or preventative kind of regimens, whatever it might be. It's such a great time to be in healthcare because we own so much of the solution. If we'll just be really thoughtful about leveraging the data we have, gleaning the right insights from it, and then acting on it. I'll come to the data question in a minute. But before that, I just wanted to get a quick sense. Are there macroeconomic factors that are driving some of your priorities today, either at the national level or at the regional level? Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, as I talk to fellow CIOs, what a difference a year makes is, is kind of the mantra. Certainly this last year financially, two things have really kind of put some headwinds in, in place for us. Still have a, a large volume of travelers that are on, on site just to fill critical nursing needs that we have. We have high volumes, like highest that we've ever had, but then we've just had this, this shift in, in our labor market and just this need then for nursing and we can't, can't hire nurses fast enough. To some degree, there's a trickle down of that. And on the, on the IT side, certainly with the, the labor market, with remote work and it's kind of uprising, there's challenges there too to make sure that we're being competitive and flexible and agile to have a great workforce and keep the culture we want. And then the payer mix, like that's been an interesting shift for us as we've seen that mix kind of move in a way that's, that's not favorable. So that pressure absolutely then makes it even more imperative that we realize that in an era of constrained resources, and this isn't something that's going to go away in a month or a year or two, like this is a new reality. We're going to have to get really adept at at living in. But I think it's a gift in a way that it's going to force us then to really narrow our, our focus and understand, okay, there's some things that are good and better we could do, but we only have capacity to do the very best things. And so we have to get it right. Like we don't have the luxury of like an Amazon to like, you know, put 10 pokers in the fire and hope one of them works out. Yeah. Like we can put one or two in and one or two of them have to work out. Right. So it's, it's a challenge, but it also, I think, is helping us mature in a way that we otherwise might not have. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors. Be well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. You mentioned the payer mix, and I want to spend just 30 seconds on that. How has the payer mix changed for you, if you could share that? And how does that drive your investment priorities? 
Yeah. And just to the high level, you know, we've seen a shift where a little more kind of government payer versus commercial payer and we're a not-for-profit health system. And so just even a small shift can have an impact. But what I love about the conversations we're having is not, well, how do we shift that back? Like, how do we, because that's, that's not the right answer. The answer is like, how do we care for this population? And if this shift is causing this kind of financial strain for us, then we need to to innovate and we need to figure out ways to do it where that government payer isn't, you know, such a drain. Like there's opportunities then to figure out reduced waste. There's opportunity to figure out, well, how do we focus more on the healthcare side of it and avoid readmissions or avoid a hospitalization in the first place? So it's, uh, again, it's a, an opportunity to not just try and like button down the hatches and do some cost cutting and wait till things get better. It's yeah. a chance to reimagine how we're doing things. That's actually very helpful to understand, you know, how small shift in payer mix can actually have a big implication for the overall revenues and the profitability of the business itself. Yeah. So back to the comment you made about data and analytics. Can you share one or two examples of how you're using data and analytics to drive access-related initiatives? Well, it's we are a developing nation in this state. We are fast followers. Like we love to learn and glean from others. So we are, and it's not unique to us, but we are data-rich and in many areas, information poor. So with our, our data analytics team, one of the focuses is on trying to be very explicit and disciplined with operational partners with really defining when they come to us, really understand like, what's the job you're trying to do? Like, why are you trying to hire this data? Trying to understand the outcomes they're, they're actually after. Trying to provide them access to data sets maybe they're not aware they have access to, where they can do some of this exploratory and inquisitive kind of exercise on their own. And trying to get out of the arena we're in today where some of the capacity is being consumed by requests for dashboards or we have a dashboard, but now we want to tweak to look like this. So we're trying to get out of that kind of service requests, first come, first serve approach by an analytics team to really put in together a comprehensive data platform that can then be used to answer a variety of questions, whether it's on the clinical side or the, the business operations side or CRM side from the marketing standpoint. So I, I would just say we are in, in early days in that. For right now, oftentimes it's it's based on the immediacy of the need in terms of how deeply we kind of dive into a request that comes in, but really trying to create something that's comprehensive and scalable and positions us for the future. A segue in from that, I'd like to maybe get your thoughts on how you're setting up your whole IT infrastructure and your foundational platforms to drive digital. I understand you're an Epic shop, so I imagine Epic has a big role to play. Uh, but what about the rest of the infrastructure and all the enablers that you really need to have in place for you to have a successful digital engagement, especially in the context of the comment that you made that everybody wants it instantly? You need to have a foundational infrastructure that can deliver instant, even if you want to deliver instant. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things come to mind. We have a cloud forward strategy. It's not cloud first. It's not cloud only. It's just we, you know, we, we certainly look to the cloud but we, we aren't so focused on you know, wanting to move things to the cloud that we then miss the chance to kind of critically just think through opportunities as they arise. So for example, we're an Epic shop. Uh, it's hosted on-premise. 
we don't have any plans in the near future to, to move that to the cloud. Although going forward, I would very much expect that may be an ultimate outcome. But there's areas where it does make sense. So for example, today, we have a, between our uh, Colo data center and our data center and one of our hospitals that's a couple hours away, we basically have a completely redundant infrastructure to run Epic for the entire health system. And so it's, I mean, that's expensive and it uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't scale well. Like we basically have to maintain 100% capacity, 200% total in the event that we may need it. And then if you just think about it from a risk standpoint, those data centers are about two and a half hours apart. So potentially there could be a geographic event that impacts both data centers. So we are moving over the next year, we're going to move our Epic DR capability to the cloud and then have the ability to just have a small presence there and then be able to scale it up when we need. When we look at other solutions, it's, it's the same way. We have a mix of SaaS, we have a mix of public-private cloud, a mix of on-prem things. And so we're always looking at what's the best solution for the current state operational need and then what provides kind of the cleanest path then for that future roadmap we see. One thing that we've learned early on is, this is years ago, but we used to lead with uh, cloud as a, like there was an ROI in terms of spend or savings. And that's just, it's just not the case. It's just your dollars kind of spent elsewhere. But that's been a helpful transition, especially with our finance team to help them understand, yeah, like you may not get this cost savings that you've heard about at the CFO conference. Let me kind of explain what you do get that's beyond kind of the savings. You're going to get all that that company has, has to bring to bear in terms of expertise, infrastructure, cybersecurity kind of built in and baked in, things that we may not be able to ever fully do on our own or fund on our own. That's our mindset. Yeah. When it comes to cloud, you made some really important points, things like uh, scalability, reliability, so on and so forth that become very, very important in the context. Once again, I go back to the comment about delivering those instant experience. You cannot afford to have downtimes. You need to have highly reliable infrastructure at the back end. All of that doesn't have a direct ROI that can be intuitively or even explicitly computed, but those are just strategic decisions. So let's talk about the application solutions, right? You are Epic first. I don't know if you would, if Epic first is the right term or not, but how do you go about making choices when it comes to enabling these digital features and functionalities that your consumers are asking for? Yeah, you nailed it. And that is our, that is our, so we have a strategic technology investment committee and kind of our three pillars of our, our backbone assets. We have Epic for EHR, Microsoft, which kind of runs our desktop server infrastructure, and then Infor is our ERP. And so our guiding principle is we'll look to these vendors first, not always, not only, but didn't used to be that way. It used to be like, hey, I went to a conference and I found this great tool and I want to use it. And then before we knew it, someone acquired it and we're trying to figure out how to integrate it and do interfaces. And then it's got duplicative capabilities to what we already own. So we've been able to redirect that now and have good conversations. People have varying opinions of Epic based on kind of you know where they are and what they've been listening or reading lately. But what we have learned through this is it's helpful to help people understand the significance of the investment we've made. This is a choice that we made as a system for our EHR, and it is no small investment. And so if we ever do something outside of Epic, we have to like do it intentionally. We have to like make that decision that, yes, we're going to add incremental costs because for whatever reason, either Epic doesn't have it or it doesn't meet our needs the way we need it to. 
But we try and use an 80-20 rule in those conversations. If we can do this in Epic or Microsoft or Infor, and it meets 80% of the need, it's not introducing any kind of unacceptable risk or safety issue, that's where we're going to start. That's been, it's been very effective. And then we certainly have avenues then for complementary solutions in areas where we need them. Yeah. We've talked a lot about consumer expectations and how you're trying to understand yeah. the consumer expectations. What about providers and caregivers? What about their expectations? Yeah. How are you addressing those? Well, they are, again, not unique to us. They're fatigued. They're tired. EHR is... What I hear most from providers is, I just want to treat patients. I just want to talk to my patient. I go see my provider. He knows my role in the organization. And he always has a list for me, which is great because he'll kind of, you know, take care of me and then I try and take care of him. But his, his number one thing is, I don't like that even for a second, I have to take my eyes off my patients and be typing on the keyboard to update something. And, and Patty, you know, like, it doesn't have to be that way. So we are looking at like some ambient listening type experiences that can augment that. The Epic in-basket, the providers view that as a burden. And so we have a project in a way to figure out how can we automate or how can we bring in other resources to offload some of this burden? Because it's for our providers and our, our nurses, it is a, it's a risk. Like it's a risk to their well-being. It's a risk to their capacity to care for patients. It's a risk, I think, for their commitment to the profession for some of them long-term. So it's, it's something that keeps me up at night, just trying to think through of all the, the opportunities in that target-rich environment. Like, how do we really define then what are the one or two that we should be all in on that are going to make the biggest impact for this population? Yeah. And I got to tell you, I have been hearing Epic in Basket optimization as a top priority over the last couple of months or so, and it seems like a lot of health systems are now focusing on this as a problem because it has a direct implication for the provider experience. So yeah, that's an interesting one. Let's talk a little bit about digital in the context of care management. You talked about access and consumer experience. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you're approaching care management, home health, remote monitoring, yeah. whatever the case may be? Yeah, so we have a what we call a virtual care center uh, it's a 24-7, 365 uh, digital telehealth hub. We have a dedicated team of expert physicians, nurses, allied health professionals, IT folks that, that are in this care center. And so what it does, there's a few, uh, three kind of key services that this virtual care center support. Clinic consultation. So patients at their clinic seeing their doctor and they have some need for a specialty or some kind of advanced discussion, we can then virtually bring in someone from the virtual care center. So that can all happen in that single visit location with the patient. Rather than a referral, they then have to like chase down after the fact. We do a hospital consultation, same kind of same kind of concept where the hospitalist then can, through a telehealth video visit, bring in that expert that might be needed. We have telehealth ICU monitoring as well that really expands the capacity that we have to monitor patients in an ICU. And then you talked about the home monitoring, certainly have programs around that where patients as they're home, they're then provided devices that we provide support for that collect relevant information, send that back to the virtual care center, where again, that, that cross-functional team can assess and, and intervene as needed and then appropriately update that patient chart. So really, you know, proud of that work and also excited for the foundation that that sets us up for the future and just that emerging space, because that's 
it's so important. And, you know, hospital at home is one of our key initiatives to try and really make some headway there. And um, because our evidence shows that patients are more comfortable in the home, no surprise, but in a lot of cases heal and recover and, and their care is better delivered in home. Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot of ground there. And, uh, and I want to ask you one more uh, question before we wrap up for today. Based on your experience so far and everything you're seeing and everything you're hearing from your consumers and your providers, what are the one or two pieces of advice or best practices uh, that you would like to share either with your peers or with the technology provider community that wants to be a part of your journey? Yeah, that's such a great question. Like We could do a whole show just on that. I would say this, and this is not a technical answer at all. This is really an important grounding principle for me. Don't ever be embarrassed by, by where you're at in your journey. And don't be afraid to start because of where you're at. It's uh, like there's so much great content out in the community. And Patty, you do an amazing job on this show. And I listen and there's, there's folks you bring on and like their thinking and their expertise and where they're at. It's like light years ahead of like where we are. And it's easy maybe to start to think, oh, like, I guess we're just not smart enough or man, we're never going to be as good as, as that person or that, that system. And I think that's the wrong mindset. I think it's, you know, we're all where we are for a variety of reasons, but we all have the same opportunity to, and even if it's just incremental, to improve that, that experience, whether it's for the patient, the provider, a colleague, just within the operational work of, of the hospital or system where you're at. And so I would just say, you know, as you're empathetic, as you're curious, as you engage in rapid experimentation, you'll be surprised at the progress you'll make, no matter how unsophisticated you might think you are, the work you do, it matters. It makes a difference. And don't ever let a comparison or your own ego get in the way of that. Yeah, that's very well said. And first of all, thank you so much for the kind comment about the podcast. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons I do the podcast is exactly what you described so that people can share their experiences, share their challenges and their best practices. And we move the entire community forward by a half an inch or an inch maybe, and that's progress. So I want to thank you once again, Reid, for sharing all of your insights and uh, what you're doing at uh, St. Luke's. It's amazing stuff. It's amazing progress. And uh, once again, thank you and all the very best to you and your team. Thanks, Patty. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, Bewell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions.